I don't know what just happened, uh, but hey, how you guys doing? Hey, hey, hey. Glad y'all are here tonight. Uh, everyone brave the weather. Anyone getting any kind of trouble trying to get here with weather, cops? Well, let's not say cops, no blue light specials. Uh, but any, anything bad on the way? No? Good. That means you're here. That means you're excited to be here because I'm excited to be here, so I hope you are too. And We're going to jump right in with week three of the series called Stories. So what we've been doing is focusing on kind of one main question and how it applies to your life, and it's this. Everyone has a story. What's yours? I'm just going to drop the mic and walk away. Now, everyone has a story. What's yours? And I want you to start through this series, and hopefully you already have the first two weeks, start to evaluate what your story looks like. Who is it that's writing your story? How does that, how does that manifest in your life? And who are the people you gather yourself with? What kind of community do you have? Because it's going to impact you. And so the first week we talked about a little bit about my story. As I shared my story, I said that every single one of you in this room, your story is defined by one of two things, either your pain, your shame, and your guilt, or God's love and joy and peace. Every one of you is defined by one of those two things, and I promise you right now that there is a better option between the two of those, and so if you have Jesus, then you now are able to live out of God's love and joy and peace, and then once you do and you have that full life, then it's time to get some awesome people around you. So if you are the sum of the five closest people to you, then if you're surrounded by idiots, guess what, boo-boo? <laughs> um, you might need to do a little self-check in that, okay? Because the wisdom of Solomon that we learned last week, as well as the story of John Campbell, is that it really matters to have solid community. It's a core piece of your life. Now, tonight we're going to keep going in, series, but I, in the series, but I promise we're not going to read four chapters of the Bible. So calm down, chill out, all right? But we are going to jump into one of my favorite stories. Uh, one of my favorite stories that I think is going to speak to us um, a lot tonight. But before we get there, let's start off with a question, some interaction, some dialogue. Not just this dude with the backwards hat on talking to you. Let's, let's have some fun. Here's my question to you. What's the scariest thing you've ever run away from? What's the, what's the scariest thing? That's a, that's a quick hand. Like, I'm afraid to call on you because that means there is fresh pain. And the guy next to you is doing this, like... If this happened on your way here, and it better not be the cops, and then I don't know what the answer is. So, all right, all right what, what's the scariest thing? Is this a cockroach? Just a, a la cucaracha right here. You, you're losing your mind over that little guy. Okay, I'm, I'm judging you just a tiny bit. It's okay, though. Anyway, listen, because here's the deal. A lot of times whenever we say scary things, we run from. The immediate place we go is going to be funny. So I want to hear a funny answer like that's, okay, all right, fine, that's funny. But is there, you got one back, back there? What's, what's the scary thing funny that you ran from? Yep, you, red toboggan. Your, your own, like, I, I'm just going to assume there's a story in there that, because that's not, that's not funny. Somebody make us laugh now. I need, I need laugh. Yeah, Lauren, you get, no, anyone over here? You got one? All right, what's, what's the something scary funny? Yes, you. You went to Canada and you got out of a car. You took a selfie with a bear. That's called the Revenant. Who does that? Like, all right, so in other words, whenever you travel, you want to travel places with her because she's outside her mind and obviously fast enough to run away from a bear. That's good. That's good. Well, I thought I'd... um. I thought I'd share a funny story of, of a time that I had to run from something. 
Um, this is not a fresh story. This didn't happen on the way here. Um, bless your heart. But for me, it is one that was um, quite memorable and gets a lot of laughs even now, some like eight years later. So in college, my last semester, uh, I studied abroad. I highly recommend studying abroad to all of you. Get outside your little bubble and go see the world, okay? So we study abroad, and on your study abroad trip, it's essentially like the real world. So I went to Costa Rica. It was like real world Costa Rica. It was me and 16 other people living together, and we never met before. And the odds were incredible. It was four guys and 13 girls. Like, I was, I was a king. It was great. And so while we're in Costa Rica, we're all starting to get to know each other. One of the trips we took at the very beginning was to this place called Vulcan Arenal. It's a volcano. Vulcan, that's what that means. Vulcan Arenal. And around La Fortuna is the area. It's a highly touristy area, like great place to go spend money. A lot of Americans, just not in any way local at all. But while we're there, we're enjoying ourselves. We're getting to know each other getting to know the, the lay of the land a little bit. And then we started to go out in La Fortuna, in Vulcan Arnold, this area. So we go out one night to this venue, and we're all hanging out, getting to know each other. And there's a girl on the trip. Like I said, I'm one of four, so it's like odds are great. And there's this girl on the trip that's starting to like try to put the moves on me. I was like, okay, I see you, girl. What's up? All right. Come on. Come on. So I start to get, I start to, get to know her a little bit better. This is like a week in. Start to get to know her a little bit better, but I'm, in the back of my mind, there's a problem. And the problem is, I have my eye on one of the 13. So there's another girl that's not this chick that I'm like, hey, I see you. And so I think that she, this girl over here, is who I would like to get to know better, while stage five clinger over here decides to make it her business for the rest of the night to be relentless and trying to get to know me. Um, sorry, I need to rephrase that. That was, I... Stage six clinger over here needed to realize that there was, some, there was some issues. So the night goes on, and she's relentless. And guys, if you're single and you're like, sweet, where is she? Like, no, it's not that good, okay? So she's come, like, we're all hanging out. We're just having a good time at this venue, and then she keeps doing this, and it's like nonstop pursuit. So the end of the night comes, and it's like a barrage of this girl, the end of the night comes, and the bus comes to get us. We're on the bus ride back, and everyone's talking about when we get to our hotel, we're going to all go to the pool and hang out. So, like, we're right, we're right near a volcano. Dumb. But we're right near a volcano, and at night, you can see, like, the magma coming out and stuff. It's ridiculous. So it's an awesome place. So we're going to go hang out outside now that it's dark around the pool. I'll get to know each other and have a lot of fun. But on the bus, she makes a pass trying to say, like, hey, let's go to the pool. And so I'm like, oh, I got a decision to make because the answer is no, okay? But, but do I let her down gently? Like, do I, do I not, like, just absolutely crush her because I'm about to live, like, basically with this girl for the next three months? Or do I get off the bus and just book it? Because there's not a chance she's as fast as me, right? Like, she ain't, she's not holding me back if I try to run. Best part about this story is that someone actually got footage of my decision, and I thought I would, I thought I would show you here. So here's, here's the deal. We get, we get to the, we pull up to the hotel and I have a decision to make. Do I let her down gently or do I run? And, and this is my decision. Mm-mm, hard pass. Mm-mm, hard pass. Nope. Wait, play, play it again. I need to see. Look at this. Y'all look how tan I am. Look at that. I am tan. I am fast. And my answer is a hard no. 
And it was scary, okay? It was scary. Now, we look back at it later, and everything ended up being totally fine. We, had, we all got to know each other. She sobered up. There's a lesson there. And uh, I started dating Larson. She's now my wife. And even now, eight years later, we laugh about it. Now, sometimes, whenever you run from scary things, it's funny, right? Scorpions and spiders and la cucaracha and everything else and stage five clingers. It's funny. But the truth is, a lot of times in life, we, when we run from things, it's not funny. It's pretty serious. See, we can joke about it all we want, but whenever we talk about real life, the things that we run from aren't necessarily going to bring a laugh into our world because we run from responsibility, run from our future, right? You're all, that's the season you're in, the college-age season of life, young 20-something. You've got a future ahead of you. You're running from it. You're embracing it. Run from being vulnerable and feeling pain. And I think a lot of it boils down to the fact that many times in life, we just run from God. And for a lot of you, you came in here tonight running from God. Now, yes, it's possible to run to church and run from God. Because your lifestyle is not necessarily the fact that you're coming here. But many of you are running from God in the way that you're completely lost in your sin, and you're running from what he's asking and calling for you to do with your life, the full life that he offers. You're living outside of your pain and your shame and your guilt rather than inside of his love and joy and peace. And what I want all of you to know is that if that's you tonight, I want you to know two things, two quick things. One is that you don't have to run. You don't have to run by any means. But number two is that if you do run, if you choose to run, God will always provide a way back. Always. Every single one of you. So if you came in here tonight running from God, lost in your sin, and, and running from this issue of, of heaven and hell that's facing you square in the face, you got to deal with it, and you're just running from it. If you don't want to deal with it, well, the good news is you're not alone. Because I've been there, and many of you in this room are probably there. And if you're not there right now, you've been there at one time. And the best thing of all is that we have an example of someone that did this that we can learn from. See, the reason why I love the Bible and why I think all of you should read it is because this is like a divine mentor. Every single season of life that you're stepping into, someone in here has gone through it and you can learn from it. So in mentoring, the whole goal of mentoring is that you, come up, that you show up with your mentor and then you try to get inside their head to figure out how in the world you can live better. You learn their secrets that they unlock that you don't have yet. And the Bible's filled with mentors. So if you ever say, man, I really want a mentor. How do I find a mentor? It's right here. Dive in. Start having a conversation. And one of the mentors that I've learned a lot from in my life, his name's Jonah. How many of you have ever heard of Jonah? Okay. Like Sunday school. Yay. All right. Well, tonight we're going to learn the story of Jonah that's not necessarily Sunday school. Because Jonah's life is one that screams to us something that all of us need to understand. And it has to do a lot with running away. So a little bit of backstory on Jonah before we dive in. Jonah was a prophet of God, which means that he was someone that God would speak things to, and then he was supposed to go relay that message to the people. This is before Jesus. This is before the printing press. This is before all those things. And so God spoke to people through prophets. Jonah was a prophet, supposed to give messages to the people. And God asked Jonah to give a very specific message. He said, Jonah, I want you to go and tell these people to stop running away from me because I love them. Call them out for their sin 
and tell them to return to me. That's a great message, right? Like, sweet, that's a home run. You can't do better than that message. Well, the problem is that God said, Jonah, I want you to go tell this message to the people of Nineveh. Now, a little backstory on Nineveh. Nineveh is like sin city. It's the dirtiest, nastiest, worst place, like just filled with a red light district. It's awful. And the people there, all of them are completely far from God. And so I would imagine, and you could probably put yourself in that place, that if you're Jonah and God tells you to go to the deepest, darkest place in the world and tell them about Jesus, the most dangerous place maybe you could go. Maybe right now you can think of the most dangerous place in the world that God might ever send someone to go and speak his message. God says, Jonah, I want you to go there and I want you to tell those people that I love them and that I'm for them and that I'm going to give them a way back to life. And they don't have to run from me anymore. They can come back to me. And Jonah, Jonah kind of freaked out a little bit. And I totally get it. I think I might as well. I'd probably have some anxiety. I'd probably have some nerves. But I want you all to, to open up to, to Jonah chapter 1. There's a Bible under your chair. I'm going to teach from mine, which might be a little different version. We'll have it up on the screen as well if you want to follow along. And I want you all to catch Jonah's response to God's ask of him to go and tell the people of Nineveh this great message. So Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah... He didn't rise up and go to Nineveh. He said, I'm going to rise up to flee, to run. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. That's a horrible word to say three times quickly. I just don't know why he put that in there. But what he was trying to go when he was going to Tarshish was away from the presence of the Lord. Now pause. You ever had a plan that you were like, this, like, this is a great plan. Like, I, I have never, in my, I didn't know I was so smart that I could come up with this. Like, Sherlock Holmes couldn't solve this. I'm so genius and smart with my plan. You ever had one of those plans? Yeah? And then you realized, um, what, whoops, uh, pretty dumb plan after all. <laughs> You ever had that moment? I hate, I hate that moment. I think I've got it made, but in reality, it was the dumbest plan ever. This is what Jonah did. Because let me, let me explain a little bit about the, the geography of what you're reading. God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. But instead of going to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa to catch a, to catch a boat, to catch a ferry across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish. This is what Jonah's genius master plan was. Like, what? Okay, so he's somewhere in between Nineveh and Joppa. And he's like, okay, God, I'll go like, I don't know, less than 550 miles to Nineveh. That's a long way, but all right, I'll do it. That's what God asked. It's pretty simple. And, but instead of that, what Jonah said is, I'm going to go down to Joppa to the port, and I'm going to catch a boat, and I'm going to go 2,500 miles to literally the farthest away from where, God, you're asking me to go possible. This is what we call dumb, okay? Now, I would imagine that Jonah's doing this 
because his, his genius idea is, God, I don't want to go do that. So what I'm going to do instead, because <laughs> I'm genius, is I'm going to run as far away from you as possible. So far away from you that you're not even going to be able to see me or think about me, and I'm going to disappear. I don't want to do that, so I'm going to go to Tarshish. This is probably what's going on inside Jonah's mind. And so he gets a boat to Tarshish. He gets on this boat. He pays the fare. And as he gets on this boat in this act of disobedience from God, what happens is that the sailors and every man on the boat, they actually take off with Jonah into the Mediterranean Sea. And as they head out into the Mediterranean Sea, they don't get very far before a tempest hits the boat. God causes a storm to overwhelm the boat. And all the sailors are freaking out, right? Because they do this all the time. They know, like, this is a big deal. So the storm hits, and guess what Jonah's doing? He's sleeping. Like, whatever, I'm running away from God. I got this. (laughs) I'm so smart. (laughs) Well, soon the sailors figure out, well, hang on. I think the reason why this is happening is because of that dude that's down there sleeping. And so they go and wake him up. And then they figure out that he's the reason why the storm comes. And so what they do is rather than throwing everything else off the boat, they throw Jonah off the boat. See you later. And now Jonah splashes in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And the moment he gets out of the boat and hits the water, the storm stops. And the sailors continue on and they go to Tarshish. And in this moment, Jonah is now left for dead. He's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. How many of you like deep water? Like, if I could run from deep water, that's the scariest thing ever. I, you don't know if you're going to turn around and there's going to be a 60-foot whale looking at you. Oh, wait a minute. That's where we're going. You can see the storm ceased, and, and Jonah probably thought he was all alone, left in the Mediterranean to die. All alone in the sea, lost and bound to die. He tried to run so far away from God, there's no way that God was anywhere around him now. But he was. See, God was there. And God had a plan. Even though Jonah's master plan tried to thwart and get around God's plan, God still had a plan. And it was still going to happen. And I think in this moment, Jonah learned something that all of us need to know. It doesn't matter how fast you try to run away from God, he's going to run that much faster after you can't hide from him. You can't run from him. And it's not like he's this commanding person that's going to come like, I'll find you. That's not in any way what it is. It's you can't escape his love for you. You can't run so fast or go so far away or get in such a deep, dark hole that God says, I can't see you anymore. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. And you're far from my heart. The truth is, it doesn't matter how fast you run, how hard you run, how far you run, God is going to pursue you that much harder. And so he pursues you and he beckons you and he calls you and calls you home. And he always provides a way back to the life that he offers. And so Jonah encounters this kindness, this love of God in the Mediterranean Sea and enter into the story, the fish, the whale. So now we're talking Jonah and the whale. Who knows? Can we just by show of hands? Jonah and the whale, right? How many of you think that actually happened? All right, I see you. Okay, big faith. How many of you think there's no possible way it happened? Don't, I'm not judging you. You can raise your hand if you're like, that's impossible. A fish didn't swallow Jonah. How many of you think? Just raise your hand. Okay. You want to know my thought on it? I have no idea. But I do know that it's in here, and so I'm going to believe that it's true. 
And what we see as we get the fish into the story in Jonah, one, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it'll be up here, you can follow along. And the Lord appointed, the Lord called, the Lord made this happen. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It's very important. Don't forget that. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the belly of the fish. That's disgusting. But when he was in there, in that tomb of the fish's stomach, he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or of death, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood that surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so what you need to know in the story that maybe you didn't learn in Sunday school is that it was God's relentless love for Jonah that sent that fish. And it was God's overwhelming, relentless love for Nineveh that sent that fish. And ultimately, it was God's overwhelming and relentless love for you that sent that fish. Because God had a plan, and it didn't matter how far Jonah tried to run from God, God was running that much farther after him. And he was going to bring to light the things that needed to happen. Now, for you, you may not be running away from an entire nation that God's saying, go talk to them about me. But maybe the thing that you're running from so far and so fast is holiness. Maybe if there's this choice, every single, thing, every single time you have a decision to make of either obedience or disobedience, you can choose holiness or you can choose your sin. And you're running as hard as you can towards your sin. And the thing you're running away from is holiness. I think what God would say to you tonight is you need to look at the story of, of Jonah. Learn about the obedience that he has because maybe you're, maybe you're looking for your identity. I think that's a, that's a key word for you in this season. Your identity. Who you are. What your future holds. What's in your story. And maybe you're trying to find your identity in everything around you of what this world could offer. And what Jesus would say to you tonight is, you don't have to look anywhere else. I'm right here. Stop running from me because I'm the only one that can give it to you. See, the world didn't create you. God did. So only God can tell you who you actually are. And this offer that he offered to Jonah, he also offers to you. Because just like Jonah, God loves you too much to leave you out there in the sea of your sin to drown and die. God always provides a way back to life. And maybe all that it takes is the courage to look up, look around, and realize that you're not where you need to be, that you're out in the middle of the sea, and that you need rescuing. And see, it's courage like that that a good friend of mine had. Because in her story, she was lost in that sea of her sin, and then she had the courage to look around and realize, but God's making a way. 
God's making a way for me to come back home. God's making a way for me to not live in my death, but to actually have life. And then she had the boldness to step forward and talk about it and admit it and find the grace of God that's available to all of us. My friend's name is Sadie, and I am so proud of her because what she's going to do is share her story with you right now. So y'all listen in. My name is Sadie Glasgow, and, you know, I've always been around the church, and um, I've always kind of known, like, who God is. Um, I've had a relationship with him since probably around high school, um, some sort of relationship. When I was growing up, Image and the church, um, I had to keep my image pristine. I wouldn't let, I wouldn't go out and, like in high school, I wouldn't go to any of the parties. I wouldn't go and drink. Um, I didn't want to cuss. I, because I, I led worship a little back, back at my old church and um, I had so much, so much sin inside of my heart that I, I had to live a life that I thought was, that looked redeemable, that looked like a Christian life, that looked uh, like someone who's, who could lead worship <laughs> would have a life like that. And, and so I hid inside myself just self-hatred and um, self-harm, things like that, uh, suicidal thoughts, because I kept it all inside and I kept it all caged up in my heart so that people wouldn't know that the kind of kind of person I am is a sinner and, and and I've done things that I regret and how guilty I felt all the time I thought in college I'm like I'm gonna be whoever I want to be I'm gonna do whatever I want to do I'm you know I said I was never gonna swear or drink I said I was never going to like do drugs like I smoked weed before um you know I I said I was never going to give in to something I've been struggling with since I was in middle school. Um, I said that I was never going to call myself bisexual, and I did. And so I'm in this, this time of my life, and, I, and I'm running. I'm running as far away from the idea of Christianity as I can. I'm looking for God's voice still because of how I was raised. So I hear, I hear something, you know, I hear, I hear someone say, you know, don't, don't deny yourself. Don't, don't restrict yourself from happiness. You know, like trust your feelings. You know, if you feel this certain way, like do it and go and, and be that person. Um, and I, I, I was looking so hard for, for someone to listen to because I, I thought that the church was irrelevant and that they were going to hate me. So I heard God in the world. When I found my identity when I, when I was growing up, I found it in church, you know, it wasn't necessarily in God, but it was in church. And when I got to college, I found my identity in, in my sin and in my sexuality. And it wasn't some public gesture of like, by the way, guys, I'm bi. It was, it was this 
this mindset where you become one thing and that one thing either enables you or holds you back. And I think it did both. I was leading worship at the moment where I was calling myself by my sin. I was calling myself by and while I'm sitting here struggling with this attraction to both like men and women, like I'm sitting up there and I'll be playing cello or or whatever they needed, honestly, and I was still afraid. I was so afraid to to let anyone in, to let anyone know what I was really thinking and what where I was really at. And I think that if I was more open at that point of my struggle, because honestly, we're in a, a congregation, we're in like, I'm hanging out with a bunch of college age people every Thursday, and I know nothing about anyone else's struggles because I feel like we all think, oh, there's no way I'm telling anyone that, or there's like, maybe you still struggle with it, and you're just like, there's no way I can tell you that because like, I don't know if I'm done with it, you know, I don't know. So I'm in this relationship with the girl and you know it's, it's really brief and I'm not gonna make it out to be what it wasn't and it wasn't some I didn't fall in love um, it wasn't some something like that it's probably less than a month but in that time in one month I've been in the darkest area of my life and also seen the brightest hope for my life because God became extremely, extremely clear to me. At that moment, something triggered in my mind where God just showed me, he's like, this is the path you're on. He said, you know, you can be in a relationship and you can be, you can be happy. You can, you can pursue this part of your life. And then he also showed me the other side of the coin. And I chose a life where I would be leading worship and I would have the complete joy in my heart that just overflows into everything I do. And I have this love for music and this passion for worship leading now. And I just, I just wanna praise God because I was so blind and I was so deceived and I didn't even realize it. And now I can be, I can be myself and I can, I can share who I am and I can share my past with people because I'm completely changed. I'm not the same. I am a different person and there's absolutely nothing that tastes sweeter than the love of God. Yeah. Some preaching right there, right? There's nothing that tastes sweeter than the love of God. And so Sadie in her life, she said, I'm running this way and it's disobedient and it's sin. And then she did a 180 and said, I don't want this anymore. I want what God would have for me. And so just like Jonah, she stopped running far away from God. She started running to God. She started finding herself instead of in her pain and shame and guilt. She started finding herself in his love and joy and peace. Now Sadie's life is one that is like Jonah. Because see, Jonah's one that uh, turned around as well. So in my, in my kids, in my son's Bible that I read to him all the time, it's this Jesus storybook Bible. It's incredible. It, it, like, I will cry while reading him. He's like, what are you doing? Like, just, you, you'll get it one day, I pray. Um, but in the story of Jonah, it explains, and this is the words at the end of the story of Jonah that it says, because the fish spat Jonah out onto dry land, and then in chapter 3 it tells us that he went to Nineveh and said to everyone, and this is the message in my son's Bible that wrecks me. 
It says, even though you've, and this is what he's saying to Nineveh, even though you've run far from God, he can't stop loving you. Run to him so he can forgive you. And in the story, what happens is the entire nation of Nineveh, they listened. And all of them were saved from destruction because of Jonah's act. See, God loved those lost people so much that he made a way for them. He loved those lost people so much that he made a way for them to have life. He didn't want them to be lost in their sin. He wanted them to be found, to be found in him. And so Jonah spent three days in utter darkness so that God could restore what was lost. Now, the incredible part of the story is that 800 years later, Jesus would spend three days in utter darkness so that what was lost, God could rescue. See, Jonah did it for Nineveh, and Jesus did it for you. Because God loves you so much that he's going to provide a way to come back home. He's going to provide a way for you to have life. You don't have to be stuck on that pursuit of everything that is running away from him. You can, right where you are right now, turn around and realize he's right there. I can never say this enough. You don't have to get clean before you come to God. You come to God and he makes you clean. If that's not drilled into your heads, and I pray overwhelmingly marinated into your hearts, because I say it all the time, then I pray that tonight would be something different than every other time I've said it and you'd understand it. And that that would be an invitation from God saying, I am, I am pursuing you, I am beckoning you, I'm desiring you exactly as you are to come back to me. Because I have life, that's going to lead to death. That's pain and shame and guilt. This, <laughs> this is love and joy and peace that nothing can take from you. And so like Sadie and like Jonah, maybe tonight's the first time that you realize you're running from him. And maybe you need to turn around. You need to start running to him. And I think that the key that happens in the story for Jonah and the key that happened in the story for Sadie and the key that's happened for all of us that have Jesus is we got to this moment where we realized that we can trust him. We can trust him. When he says, turn around and follow me, when he tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Yeah, I know they're the worst ever and they're probably going to try to kill you, but you can trust me. Listen, I know that you love being in that relationship, but I'm telling you right now, it's not good for you. You can trust me. Listen, I know that you want to go and do all those things in the privacy of your own room, with or without someone. I know that's what you want to do, but you don't need to do that. I have better for you. You can trust me. I know that you want to go find yourself in this relationship or in this job or in this school or in this future with this family or this friend and this group. But I promise you, I promise you that if you would just come and find me, I'll give you all of that. You can trust me. And so maybe tonight what you need to do is you need to start trusting him. You need to see the story of Jonah, hear the story of Sadie, and realize that God is beckoning you to come home, to come back to him, your first love, because he's giving you a way back to life. And so my question for you is this. What is God telling you to do that you're running from? Right now, if you think about it, you feel a press inside your chest and you're getting uncomfortable and you don't want to think about this or talk about this, that's probably God. So what's he telling you to do that you're running from? What sin are you committing and continuing to chase when God's saying, just chase me. I'll give you everything you need. You're going to find nothing but pain and shame and guilt. And I want to take all that 
and I want to give you my love, my joy, and my peace. And so what we want to do tonight is give you a chance to really think about that. <laughs> See, I believe that today, that this night, you're not here by accident. God knew you'd be here. And I believe that he knew this message is exactly the one that you would hear. And so maybe you need to sit there and over the next few moments think about what is it that I'm running? What is it that I'm running from? What's the sin in my life that I just can't let go of? So even Sadie said in the story, I realized what I needed to do, but maybe I wasn't ready to get rid of it. Maybe I wasn't ready to stop. Let tonight be the time that you say, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to quit trying to run as far away from God as possible. I'm going to start running back to him. So over the next few moments, we're going to step back into a time of worship. And what this is going to look like, what this is going to be, is for some of you, you may realize that you're running straight at him as fast as you can. Then for you, this is a time to worship. Because <laughs> God sent a fish, and he saved you. You didn't have to die in the, in the sea of your sin. He gave you a way out through Jesus. And so for you, you get to worship. But for some of you, maybe it's not that you're going to stand and sing, but maybe this song is going to be sung over you. Because God is pulling you and inviting you closer to him. And remember, you can't, you can't run and hide. He's going to see. He's going to always see you because he loves you. So what I would ask of you is that over the next few moments, if you feel prompted to stand and worship, stand and worship. If you feel prompted to fall on your face and pray and repent, then do that. Repent means this. I'm running this way. As far away from God as possible. Repent is to do a 180 and to stop running that way. Just a hard turn right back to God. Maybe you need to fall on your face and repent and ask for God's forgiveness. And for some of you, it's going to be that you need to pray, you need to journal, you need to worship, you need to sing, you need to dance. I don't know what it is. My only ask is that you be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit right now is prompting on you, you respond in that way. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to step into it. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit into this moment for him to just run wild in this place. And whatever he's already stirring in you, may he drive it even deeper. And may you have the courage, like Sadie, to actually respond to it. So bow your heads. Father, I love you. <laughs> and when I say that, it's not fickle. It's not, it's not light, God. That's not a... It's not an underwhelming message, Father. It's the, it's the absolute position of my heart. God, I adore you and I worship you because I know that I was lost in the sea of my sin, running as far away from you as possible, and yet you, you and your kindness saved me. You met me that day when I was 17. You said, come, come and follow me. Quit trying to follow that. So, Father, I know what that kindness is like. I know that the words that Sadie said are truer than everything, <laughs> that everything said tonight, God, that there's nothing sweeter than the love of God. So, Father, my ask is that over the next few moments, you would make that real to us tonight. You'd let us taste that, to know it like we never have before. Because, God, people are coming into this room and they're still sitting here right now feeling too ashamed to talk about their story, feeling too ashamed to talk about their sin, feeling like, like God, there's no way you can love us because of what I've done, because of how far I've run. There is no redemption for me, and yet, Father, there's redemption for all of us. So I ask that in the name of Jesus, you'd bring redemption tonight. I ask in the name of Jesus that you bring us to our face tonight and that we would repent and that we'd hear the story of Jonah and it would bring us home. May this be the message. May we be Nineveh if we need to be. And may we repent, turn around, and come right back to you. So, Father, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you for your grace, for your kindness. 
God, I thank you that we can never hide from you because your hand is always there. So I thank you for pursuing us. We can never outrun you. You're always going to pursue us and chase us and run faster and harder after us. So in the next few moments, Father, would you please do just that to the people in this room? And may we respond in obedience to the call that you have for us. So be glorified in these moments and in our stories and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.